This is the 90th episode of Decoding Fox News, and I'm your host, Juliet Jeske. Each week, I watch and analyze 15 hours of Fox News and then break it down. I watch all the Fox News you'd never want to. Let's get into it. Fox News, Xi Jinping in San Fran, protest paranoia, and tick-tock terrorist stands. A condensed overview of 15 hours of Fox News for the week ending November 19th, 2023. This first clip, Fox News got really worked up about San Francisco getting a bit cleaned up. Sir, the left cares about power, not about your quality of life. They let the city sink into depravity because changing policies would mean they'd be admitting that their high-tax, anti-police, pro-criminal, pro-drugs policies were wrong. But now, they're kind of like teenage girls primping before a date. Newsom's pritting up things for someone he needs to impress. And, you know, over the last couple of years, we've talked, we've talked a little bit about what a living hellhole San Francisco has become. Open-air drugs, uh, people carjacked, people robbed, all that stuff. Well, because of this great big uh, world leader confab, uh, San Francisco is undergoing an extreme makeover, Gavin Newsom edition, essentially. And what they're doing is they're cleaning it up. There, there was a homeless guy who told CBS yesterday, I don't understand why it took so long. It's also almost like... A a facelift. It doesn't stay. It's a temporary fix. And you know what? Gavin Newsom himself said it's like a facelift. You may have noticed Dirty San Fran gave itself a makeover to host the communists. The poop-filled streets looking clean and polished. Gone are the crusty vagrants and tents. They got replaced by barricades, walls, if you will, and rows of people waving Chinese flags. California governor and destroyer of Chinese children, Gavin Newsom comparing the cleanup job to just having some people over. Jesse, you know how foreign dignitaries, when in foreign countries, will put on the local attire? Did you find it offensive that the Chinese president didn't cake himself with feces? Ladies and gentlemen, that's Greg Gutfeld telling, um, uh, what do you call that? I know it's a joke, but it's not a funny joke. It's not a hilarious joke. I like to say it's accompanied by silent laughter. A lot of times when I clip him to openly make fun of him, which I do often, I'll go ahead and wait. I'll give that pregnant pause after whatever bit of comedy he's tried to make just lands flat, just lands flat like a lead balloon. Just let it go. Let it die. And then edit right there. Edit it right there. My favorite thing to do. I have no idea how this man has a, a career in comedy. No idea. Okay, so yeah, that for opening clip was... I'll give the context. Uh, Joe Biden met with a number of Asian leaders at the APEC, which is called the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit, which was held in San Francisco. And Governor Gavin Newsom openly said, yeah, we're going to clean up the city for this big, huge international conference. And Fox lost their minds. There was a lot of clutching pearls, clutching pearls, clutching pearls, clutching pearls. Those clutch your pearls. They're cleaning the streets. How dare they? We wanted them to clean the streets every day because every day international dignitaries come to a city like San Francisco. Anyway, I'm kind of delirious. I've had a rough day. My computer broke. It was six days old. Six days. Six days old. And it broke. And I had to go to Apple. Long story short, as my mom would say, because she's from St. Louis, they gave me a new machine. 
But that meant I had to redo everything on it. It's been a terrible day <laughs> filled with trauma and tears. As I said, how on earth am I going to hit that deadline? And I'm flying to St. Louis as soon as I get finished this recording. I haven't even packed. It's that crazy. So if you're wondering why, I might be a little like, what? Is she okay this episode? Not really. I'm hanging on for dear life. Openly admit this. So this next clip uh, kind of has a reference in it that a lot of Generation X and older folks will get. This is a movie from 1984, which is a classic of Cold War cinema. Uh, But this is basically Fox viewed this Asia summit. (laughs) It was very strange as sort of a defeat, uh, a kind of, we were like admitting to China, we can't help our, we're, we're so defeated, even though our economy is doing much better than China's economy is doing right now, that we were like crumbling before Xi. When in fact, <laughs> I think it was more that Xi Jinping uh, was coming to this to try to help boost his country, which is not doing well. They have a number of crises right now with youth unemployment and the real estate market, uh, which has basically collapsed in China, among other things. Um, but of course, you know, you can't, if Biden does anything, they've got to criticize it. And Laura Ingram, especially, I could have given you probably 30 minutes straight of her just going off about this summit. She She had so worked up about it. She viewed it as like an invasion almost, like a defeat of the United States, a surrender. Uh, It was like, you can't even describe how worked up she got. So I just put a couple clips together. The first one is from Monday, and then the second one is from Wednesday, of course, from the Ingram Angle. Us just touched down in San Francisco. Well, I'm talking, of course, about Chinese President Xi Jinping, who landed a little over an hour ago. He's agreed to give the American president an audience tomorrow. I'm Laura Ingram. This is the Ingram Angle on a momentous Wednesday night from Nashville. This is a live look where soon President Biden is going to try to convince the American people that his meeting today with communist dictator Xi Jinping is the beginning of something really beautiful. Now, think about it. Uh, President Xi rules over, what, 1.3 billion Chinese through a relentless campaign of fear and oppression. But we're supposed to believe that he's actually someone we can trust as America gradually gives up her leverage. He's someone we can do business with. After all, China sent the raw chemicals to Mexico that killed hundreds of thousands of Americans when it was turned into fentanyl. But now, after spending some glorious moments with Joe Biden, He says that he's going to pull all that back. What a guy. Now, it it was all hammer and sickos in San Francisco since the arrival of China's dictator, Xi Jinping. Americans desperate to honor and impress him decided to make him feel right at home. Now, that is a flag that represents subjugation, oppression, and persecution. Not just to the Chinese who've fled, but for those who have no way out of China. And for a second, and watching this welcome that Xi received on our soil, I thought that I was watching my old favorite flick from the mid-80s, Red Dawn. Ding, ding, ding. That's the reference. Red Dawn, the ultimate Cold War movie. Um, So what is the premise of this movie called Red Dawn? Well, it was this idea, the plot was basically that the Soviet army 
this is during the time of communism, launched a ground invasion into the United States that was thwarted in part by scrappy teenage civilians who used guerrilla warfare and their personal stockpile of weapons to, you know, beat back this invading army. Not as if, like, the United States military could easily do it, but no, teenagers with just random weapons. Um, the movie was not made for a lot of money. Nobody really expected it to go where, very far. It, like, blew up. And I honestly, I think if it was made today, there would be a whole franchise of, like, Red Dawn movies. Uh, it was, like, the ultimate 19 mid-80s film. This was during the second Reagan administration where patriotism was, like, off the scale and people were very, very anti-communist and, like, just a lot of stuff going on in the 80s. And I have no doubt that this was a favorite film for Laura Ingram. I bet she has it memorized. I bet she's reenacted it. I bet she's taken her sons out in the backyard and go, Red Dawn, let's do this, boys. I, I, I believe it. I believe it. Because it's like, <laughs> this is kind of in some ways the ultimate, like, American fantasy of, like, I'm going to use that insanely powerful gun that shouldn't be used for anything but war in an actual war against an invading foreign army. Sure, that's very likely considering where the United States is situated in the world and all that, but okay, let's just believe this craziness. Now, you can definitely tell in those clips that Laura Ingram is very worked up that Joe Biden would even entertain a meeting with Xi Jinping. And her, some of her criticisms are legitimate. Uh, China does have, is guilty of a lot of human rights abuses. Uh, the Chinese government is a weird, twisted combination of the worst forms of capitalism mixed with the worst aspects of communism mixed together um, in that your average Chinese person's not doing that well and they have no freedom, no real freedom, no freedom of the press. They can't speak out against the government. They can't move around freely. Um, you know, they can't do much without somehow permission from the government. They're surveilled by the government quite a bit. There's a lot of problems in China. At the same time, you have this insane, insanely wealthy class at the top that does whatever the heck it wants. It's, the government's very corrupt. Who knows? You know, people just sort of disappear in China all the time. It's a lot of not so great things about China. They threaten their neighbors. All of this is true. However, um, due to a number of reasons, the United States does do a tremendous amount of trade with China. I also want to point out that even though Laura Ingram never brings this up, the push for free trade, the push to open China did not come from the left did not come from Democrats. Uh, it was George H.W. Bush who gave them the most favored nation status right as he was leaving his only term as president. And that was, I believe, it was a couple of years after the Tiananmen Square massacre in which pro-democracy protesters were basically murdered by the Chinese government. So they'd committed, again, a number of human rights abuses. And it was sort of like, well, you know, they're a big economy. So you totally understand the criticism there. However, I don't see how cutting China off and not speaking to them will improve relations. Because it is what it is. We do have way too much of our economy tied in with the Chinese economy. They are the two largest economies in the world. We do a tremendous amount of trade with them. Plenty of arguments can be made that that is not a good thing. I don't see how cutting them off and becoming more adversarial with them would be any benefit to the United States. So I do understand why 
President Biden would want to make relationships, the relationship with China a little bit better. Uh, and talking to people is one way that you can get there. So uh, another thing I just want to add before I get to the next clip is that Fox pushes the idea all the time that the United States is about to go to war, like full-fledged, like World War III, like, again, land invasions, Red Dawn 2, <laughs> Red Dawn 2.0, China, because <laughs> it would be still red because it's communist. Anyway, that's what the red was for, in Red Dawn, communist. Anyway, um, the idea that we would go to war with China, I find a little far-fetched due to the fact that it would be as if a store owner decided, you know, who's my biggest customer or second biggest customer? I think the EU might be bigger than us, but second biggest customer, I'm going to go fight them. <laughs> and they're not going to be able to buy anything in my store while I fight them. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really see that happening. Taiwan, who knows, but I, I don't know. So this next clip is from Harold Ford Jr. He's on the five, he's in the, the liberal chair, but he acts more like a moderate on the show. He's a former congressman. He used to serve in Tennessee, uh, and he rarely kind of disagrees with his co-host. He's kind of he gets along really well with everybody. It's really boring when he's on the show, quite frankly, but he does have his moments. And here's one where he sort of defends Biden's reasons for speaking with Xi Jinping. One, I differ slightly here. I think the president and and I got elected to Congress in '96. That's 27 years ago. I think this is the first time our president has sat down with the leader of China, I think, with the economic strength uh, in our favor, mm -hmm. in a definitive way. COVID slowed down their economy in China in massive ways. In fact, there's enormous economic pressures there because they have high youth unemployment rates. Driving that is a collapse in the real estate sector. Two, we have de-risked from China in huge ways. We've offshored where, we, where we're still manufacturing uh, American items or importing American items in, in Asia, it's gone more to India, to Vietnam, and to other places, putting even more pressure on their economy. We invested heavily to build and manufacture chips in our own country, and we found ways to be more competitive and innovative. And as a result, I think when President Biden and I listened to that press conference, listened to both of them talk, and they both were candid. It was cordial, but they were candid about the disagreements. I think when I'm going to be surprised if we don't hear that we had more leverage and got a better deal as it relates to fentanyl, human rights, climate, Taiwan, and even perhaps Ukraine and other things. So whether the president, we'll see if the president is as good a negotiator as some suggest, but I know this, America is in as strong a position in this conversation with China as we've been in my adult life. And I hope the White House is able to capitalize on it. Mm. So Harold Ford Jr. makes a number of good points there, all of which are accurate. China is going through a really rough time right now with real estate, unemployment, and its economy in general. So that is all true. And I, I don't think our relationship has gotten that adversarial that opening up relations is a bad thing. But of course, Laura Ingram would disagree. Like she was just livid that he would even step foot on American soil. I was like, okay. Um, so this is my favorite clip of the week. Um, before I get to the next clip, I'm just going to briefly mention my sponsor. And who would my sponsor be? That would be listeners of this podcast and readers of my newsletter. Uh, the newsletter is the written version of this podcast, which would include hyperlinks to any sources that I mention in this broadcast. And you can find that newsletter at Substack for Decoding Fox News, where you can also become a paid um, subscriber, if you'd like. Paid subscribers do get exclusive content that's only available to them and my paid Patreon supporters. My Patreon supporters are at my Patreon 
account, which is also decoding Fox News. There's also a little dollar sign next to my name at Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. Sometimes people just send a donation that way. That's always appreciated. Um, and I am 100% funded by small, tiny little donors like yourself. If you're listening, thank you so much. I have no large donor. I have no billionaire funding this. I have no advertisers yet. That's it. Also, paid subscriptions start at $5 a month, which is not much. If you split that up among 30 days, I don't know what that would be. I'm too tired to figure out the math right now, but not much, not much. And I try to make it entertaining. And thank you so much if you're a paid subscriber. So next clip, and again, this one got me all excited because as I said on Twitter, I still call it Twitter, I could have written this script (laughs) myself. So uh, a little bit of background. This is Laura Ingram claims a protest at the DNC is an insurrection. Well, it wasn't. So Wednesday night, I'll paint the scene. I was on Twitter and I start seeing these clips from a protest outside the Democratic National Convention. And the Democratic National Convention is one faction of the Democratic Party. It basically raises money for various Democrats to run for various offices. That's it. That's what it does. It's not the government. It's very clear it's not the government. It's kind of part of a political machine, basically. But that doesn't mean it's the government. There's also the DCCC. There's there's state groups. There's tiny little groups that are, you know, affiliated with the Democratic Party. But they were all begging for money. They're not the government. So uh, this group was asking for a ceasefire. Um, At some point, the police pushed back. The protesters said the police were violent. The police said the protesters were violent. The clips that I saw didn't really look that bad. Um, I was kind of like, yeah, this looks like a protest. Didn't I mean, I didn't see billy clubs. I saw pepper spray in one shot. And that was a police officer holding pepper spray. But that's it. As far as protests go, it didn't look that bad. I've seen much, much worse. Uh, of co- and I knew that night as I was watching this unfold live, as these clips were getting put on Twitter live, I said, Fox is going to call this an insurrection tomorrow. Somebody's going to call this insurrection. They're going to compare it to January 6th. It's going to happen. And lo and behold, Laura Ingram won the prize. Here's the clip. Anti-Israel protesters who are out there demanding a ceasefire, by the way, are choosing violence as their best method to get their point across. Six U.S. Capitol Police officers were hurt during the clashes outside of the DNC headquarters in D.C. last night. There are reports of officers being pepper sprayed and punched. Now, out of that massive crowd, only one person was arrested. I guess none of the cameras were working. Again, police were violently attacked, and there's just been one arrest. Now, let's compare that to how they went after the January 6th protesters. So, yes, I was watching this and immediately went, okay, that needs to be clipped. I have to put that on Twitter. And I was like, of course she said that. Of course she said that. Now, I did make an edit at this point where she showed, showed somebody, it was like immediately after, within a few days of the January 6th attack, somebody from the Department of Justice talking about the January 6th attack and she doesn't put the name of the person on the screen and then she cuts back to herself and says this. of government approach as they call it. Of course as we said at the time the Biden DOJ was sending a message with that nationwide dragnet. 
the draconian punishments, the solitary confinement, the pretrial detention. To all of you people out there, Donald Trumpers or conservatives, don't even think about questioning the government ever again, certainly not in any large numbers. But last night's rampage by the violent leftists, like the 2020 George Floyd riots, they don't fit their narrative, so the government and their media co-conspirators will downplay it all. Both police and protesters accusing each other of violence. Both sides, police and the progressive Jewish organizations that organized this protest, that have organized many in recent weeks, overnight they're pointing the finger at the other side, saying it is the other party that's really to blame for escalating so the So I'll tell you very quickly what I saw. And I, again, I saw this live as it was being posted. It looked like some protesters who didn't have any sort of weapons whatsoever. Uh, I didn't see any weapons on the part of the protesters. They got on some stairs, they linked arms, and they said, we're not moving. And the cops are like, yeah, you got to come down. And then the cops start pulling them down and people start screaming. That's it. That's all I saw. And I <laughs> saw multiple clips of this from multiple angles. And the protesters are like, look, they're attacking us. And I'm like, are they? I don't see, I don't really see them attacking you. But I also didn't see the protesters attacking the cops. I saw no evidence of that whatsoever. Apparently there was one man who was arrested. That's the person she re referenced to who did apparently strike a cop, allegedly strike a cop and allegedly hit somebody else. Um, there are two people that this person struck. And I don't think this person had a weapon either. Uh, so, again, I don't know. People may have been injured from falling. There was some pushing, some shoving. That's what I saw. But I didn't see a single billy club come out. I didn't see anything like um, a taser. Nothing like that. I didn't see anybody get punched in the face. It just looked like one of these things where people were yelling and shoving and pushing each other. That's it. And when you're on stairs, it makes it kind of precarious because you can fall backward. I did see one shot of a person who had fallen back on his back, but you couldn't tell if he slipped, if he fell, if somebody pushed him, you couldn't tell what happened. And I will also add that I only saw maybe a few minutes worth of footage, which is like, that's it? I didn't see, you know, January 6th, we all saw that live. It went on for hours and it was nonstop. And it was, you know, people taking police shields and breaking in windows and, and beating cops with all sorts of impromptu, you know, weapons, a woman got shot, you know, people died because they were crushed or they had a heart attack or whatever. It was a much, much more intense scene. But most importantly, as I look to Merriam-Webster's dictionary for the definition of an insurrection, it's defined as an act or instance of revolting against civil authority or an established government. Now, the DNC, as I established earlier, is not the government. It literally begs for money. Not the government, has no power over anyone except for its employees, and even then that's limited. Cannot write laws, cannot write policy, cannot really do much of anything except for beg for money and then give it to various candidates. That's what they do. Um, and on January 6th, those protesters had one goal in mind, and that was to stop the process of selecting the freely elected president of the United States. That's what they were there to do. That's what they wanted to do. So this idea that it just happened to be a protest that got out of hand is a bunch of malarkey. Thank you, Joe Biden. Um, very, very different. And that's why it's called an insurrection. And that is why those people got long prison uh, terms. There was also other things they were trying to plan, all these crazy things on January 6th. 
So yeah, good luck with that one, calling that an insurrection. They try to call anything an insurrection at this time. So our next clip, so I also want to point out um, that Fox spent more time, I could not believe this, I triple, quadruple checked this. I went through the spreadsheet, made sure I did, labeled things correctly. Fox spent far more time covering the pro-Palestinian marches and protests. If you want to call them anti-Israeli, go ahead. But they were pro-Palestinian, anti-Israeli. Fox calls everything anti-Israeli. Um, but Fox spent far more time covering that than the actual war between Israel and Hamas. Go figure. <laughs> the Israel-Hamas war didn't even make it into the top five categories this week, but protests for Palestine did. Very telling. Now, this is how there was also a march last week that was pro-Israel and against anti-Semitism in Washington, D.C. This was a much longer clip. I purposely cut out the more um, hyperbolic comments by one protester, and you'll hear, you'll hear two protesters. They never name these people, so it's just a woman and then a man. The name was never flashed on screen. I have no idea who these people are. They're never identified. There is no two sides here. This is between the right side, God side, and savages who worship death. This is really everyone's war. They're, they're, this is not debatable. These are savages that I'm going to say something shocking, worse than Nazis. They are savages and they're living in our country with us. And anyone who doesn't speak out now, it's coming to your neighborhood right now. So just imagine somebody saying the exact same statements, but at a pro-Palestinian protest and how Fox News would not only uh, react to that, but cover those statements as well. That's all I'm going to just put your imagination out there. There you go. Um, If you're asking about that cheesy music that's playing underneath, um, Fox added that after the fact. Um, This full segment was much longer. It was Steve Ducey walking up to strangers with a microphone I will give them this. Most of the statements were perfectly um, reasonable, just like I'm pro-Israel or, you know, I'm worried about the hostages. I don't like anti-Semitism. That woman was by far the most extreme. This next gentleman just complimented Fox. I don't think we hear enough about the hostages on the news and uh, we need to do everything we can to bring them home. At Fox, we try to do a, a lot. There's nothing better than listening to Fox News. They're the one media that's showing what's really happening and getting the truth out. So I'm sure that gentleman probably does love Fox News coverage. Um, If he's pro-Israel, I totally understand why he would like Fox News coverage. Fox basically covers this by having their war correspondents embedded with the Israeli Defense Forces, the IDF, and they go around with the IDF and they show the viewers what the IDF wants the viewers to see. What you don't see on Fox are women and children of Palestinians. You don't see them ever. You don't see anyone injured for the most part. You do not see a body bag. You sometimes see destruction around the soldiers, but you don't see that, oh, that was like, that was somebody's home that's now destroyed. PBS, on the other hand, has included segments about the family members of the hostages, which Fox has done a little bit of that. They could do more of that uh, if they really wanted, but they don't. PBS has had several segments about that. PBS includes uh, graphic images such as body bags, injured civilians, injured children, interviews with Palestinians when they can get them. Uh, PBS has also interviewed former members of Hezbollah, 
leaders from the West Bank. Um, they've interviewed Palestinians when they can. They're hard to talk to right now because of the situation in Gaza. PBS has included the fact that, you know, the last time I counted, it's probably higher now, but it was like 40 journalists have been killed in Gaza. So PBS is trying much harder to give both sides of the story to show the full impact of this conflict and the complexity of this conflict, which I think is incredibly difficult to cover for a number of reasons. You're dealing with a very small area in Gaza that is being bombarded and it's very dangerous for journalists to even get to certain places. So I just want to share that. It's difficult to show that in an audio podcast because it's, I don't have, they don't give me anything. Like if Fox just ignores something completely, it's hard for me to show you that they're ignoring it. I just have to sort of describe that to you. Um, so that's their coverage. And lately they weren't even covering it. It was more like, oh, look, there's a Palestinian protest and someone's ripping down an American flag. Got to show that on camera. That's what they do. And again, no matter how you feel about this conflict, because I understand that this is a very complex uh, situation and people have incredibly strong feelings about the entire region. I totally get it, 100%. Fox is not really uh, showing much of anything. They just aren't. And you can agree with them or not, but that's how they're covering this war. They're just, just very surface, very one-sided, and now they're not even really covering it. So I, I don't know. That's, it's been very strange to watch. It's like watching a completely different war when I watch other media and then I watch Fox. So this next one, this is from a gentleman who, Mike Davis, who was harassing Kat over at Media Matters today. He's done this for a while. He likes to post about her on Twitter, which I find just fascinating because he never bothers me. And I post about him all the time too. I've also never seen him go after any of the men at Media Matters for America, and it makes me a little suspect of what he's doing over there, what his motivations might be to pick on a woman in her early 20s, you know, instead of the men who are his age or a woman. I think I'm probably older than him by the looks of him. I'm not sure how old he is. And with a name like Mike Davis, it's kind of impossible to find anything about him. He works, uh, he founded a group called the Article 3 Project, which is described as we defend constitutionalist judges and the rule of law. That's on his website. Not really sure what he does. Don't really care. Here he is on the Ingram angle. And they were talking about the case in Colorado where a judge basically said, you know, I can't take uh, Trump off the ballot but I, in, in Colorado, but I do think he incited an insurrection, <laughs> which apparently is not great for Trump, legally speaking. Uh, and here... It, this is a dialogue between uh, Mike Davis and Laura Ingram. I've said this time and again, but it's worth repeating tonight, is that the only way the left will stop, if they're stopped, if they're stopped by either being, you know, a judge's ruling, and it has to be an emphatic ruling, or a sweeping electoral victory by Americans who just say, you know, enough of this. This, is, this isn't even common sense. Forget being a constitutional scholar. This makes no sense. But, you know, judges one after the other have come in and said, cannot do this. Yeah, I mean, I would say this is going to be a tactical retreat by the Democrats. Like you said, Laura, they will they play for keeps. They will do whatever it takes to win. If you thought that 2020 was bad with BLM riots, brace ourselves for what they have in store in 2024 with their Hamas and BLM supporters. So, yes, Mr. Generic Name Mike Davis, who harasses women at Media Matters, 
Um, <laughs> is sort of predicting massive riots in 2024. Massive riots. Massive riots across the country. Massive riots. Okay. Just another way to scare voters, to scare the audience. It's what they do. This is what Fox is. Typical. Now, speaking of cops, this next one, this was crazy. This was on Monday. The Five opened with this bizarre segment that made no sense. I had no idea what the story was even about until I read about it on other outlets. So the way they presented it in the segment was that they acted as if um, Naomi Biden, the adult granddaughter of the president, Hunter Biden's daughter, was carjacked by a group of men and that the Secret Service swooped in and shot their firearm. It's not what happened at all. <laughs> Some Secret Service, but that's how they kind of presented it because it was this really sloppily done segment. I couldn't even understand what they were talking about. So when I tweeted about it, that's what I put in the tweet. And these people are like, how dare you? And they were, they were quoting CNN and they were quoting MSNBC. And I said, that's cute. I don't watch those networks. What's the name of my account? I was basing it off of what I watched on Fox, which was a segment that didn't make any sense. <laughs> it, they didn't include details. The, the segment just flat out didn't make any sense. Uh, the clip that I'm going to play you is why I clipped it, uh, because it is Judge Janine kind of going after uh, the Secret Service. So this is what really happened. So there's a parked car that was a government SUV. Uh, three people came up to it. They broke the window, attempted to break in. Secret Service men who happened to be assigned to protecting Naomi Biden, because this is near where she lived, ran over and one of them shot their weapon at some point. Nobody got hurt. That's it. That's the story. Um, I called this section back the blue unless the blue is backing a Biden. And this is Judge Janine, again, normally very much back the blue, freaking out over this incident. If you're a Secret Service agent and someone's trying to steal an Escalade, are you allowed to shoot to kill? I am so glad you asked that question, Jesse, because I have with me today a copy of Homeland Security Guidelines and Secret Service comes under them. And the answer is that law enforcement officers may use force uh, only when reasonably effective, safe and feasible alternative appears to exist and may use only the level of force that is objectively reasonable in light of the facts and circumstances of the law enforcement officer at the time. That pretty much says no. <laughs> and you certainly, and I'm not going to waste a lot of time, when you go to deadly physical force, yeah. a cop can only use deadly physical force, including a Secret Service officer, uh, when it is objectively reasonable, and that is when he was is confronted with deadly physical force. Now, let's assume that this Secret Service agent, since he didn't hit anybody and may not have been to the... Uh, uh, to the training uh, for his firearm for a while, you can only, in terms of the Secret Service, uh, issue a warning shot when you have a special written permit from the chief of police in that jurisdiction, who would be the chief of police in Maryland. So now we know that the Secret Service doesn't necessarily follow the rules that they're obligated to. We know that they're incapable of identifying fingerprints on cocaine found in the White House. We know they love the Bidens because they extricated a gun that uh, Hunter's girlfriend left in a garbage can near the school. So it's a, it's a joke. The whole thing is a joke. I'm Judge Janine and it's a joke. It's a goddamn joke. Where's a York peppermint patty? 
Where's a dog? I would love to talk to a dog right now. I'm Judge Janine. The Secret Service is corrupt. It's part of the deep state. Now, just for the heck of it, let's put that premise out there again. But this time, we make it uh, somebody trying to break into Melania Trump's car. Go. Do you really think that Judge Janine would have the same reaction that I just played to you? Absolutely not. There's no possible way on this planet that she would have the same reaction. Now, before I get to the last quote, which is a favorite of mine, uh, this one is it's short, sweet, and it cracked me up. It fell over laughing. Um, I just want to do a very quick impression because apparently some folks liked this one last week. And, um, you know, she may not be part of our political landscape for much longer. Who knows? I kind of hope she isn't. Maybe one America News Network could extend an offer or one of those other wacky super right-wing media companies. I don't see her on Fox, although that would be funny if they gave her her own show because it would just be this, you're fake news and you're a liar and I am the governor. Welcome to the Carrie Lake Show. <laughs> How are you? Well, you know what? If you just want to manifest, sit down with me. Sit down with me for a spell. Hold my hands. Hold my hands and look into my face. Look into my face. Now look away. Look into my face. Now look away. Do you see it? Do you see it yet? I am the governor. You see me as the governor of Arizona. Carizona. I want to say something very quickly. Somebody, people last week thought Carizona was a joke. Something that... That wacky chick, Juliet Jeske, made up as a... No. Hashtag Carizona is a real thing made up by the Carrie Lake campaign for governor. Although it's not a campaign anymore because she is the governor. Who wants to bet money right now that Carrie Lake speaks of herself in third person? I'm putting money on the table. I'm putting money on the table. I don't have any money, but I'm putting money on the table that Carrie Lake looks in the mirror and says, Carrie, what are you going to do today as governor of Carizona? Carrie, you know you've got what it takes, Carrie. Let's do this, Carrie. I think she does. I think she does it. I... I'm telling you, she could come out with a self-help book <laughs> called You Too Can Be the Governor. Anyway, okay, so this next one, this one caused me to laugh out loud, even though it's kind of dark. So last week, several TikTok influencers posted videos about the reactions to Osama bin Laden's letter to America. The letter was written about a year after the September 11th attack, which killed nearly 3,000 people. The statement was meant to address the reasons why bin Laden staged his attack against the U.S. and included criticism of U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East, along with homophobic and anti-Semitic language. Some of the users said they were not endorsing bin Laden or sympathizing with him in any way, but others were more ambiguous. I saw a couple that were downright horrible. Horrible. So according to reporting by NBC, researchers at the Institute for Strategic Dialogue found 41 Letter to America videos on TikTok. A post on X, the site formerly known as Twitter, about the videos by journalist Yashir Ali received 25.6 million views. In its research, the Institute for Strategic Dialogue said references to bin Laden on X jumped more than 4,300% from Tuesday to Thursday. References to Letter to America jumped more than 1,800% 
with 719 million impressions across the platform. TikTok ended up removing the hashtag Letter to America. Now, I just want to briefly say some people have defended. There was a spectrum to these videos. Some of them were like, well, I don't agree with anything um, Bin Laden is promoting, but he did make some points about U.S. foreign policy. And some people were not nearly, some people were very disturbing in that they did seem to sort of, I'll go ahead and say it, I don't care. I, I will judge these people. I thought they were, they came across as incredibly naive and just, I don't even know what's going on in their heads. These are people who were probably not alive during 9-11, or if they were, they were very small children. I was also very baffled by the idea that criticizing U.S. foreign policy is a new concept because I, I felt like it's always been a part of the American political discussion. Always. Like, even during World War II, people debated if we should even get involved. They debated we if we should get involved in World War I. People were incredibly critical of the Vietnam War. I was born uh, near the latter half of the Vietnam War, right before it ended. Uh, so I kind of just get a little confused here that this is sort of a new concept. I think that my entire life, uh, people have criticized U.S. foreign policy. It's almost a sport in this country. There's so many books about that are critical of U.S. foreign policy, I couldn't even begin to name them. There's books that are critical of the CIA. There's books that are critical of the, the government. There's books of, I mean, there's uh, how many volumes just on South America do you want or Central America or the Middle East? Not just the Middle East, by the way. Uh, some things that we've tried to do that have gone hor horribly, horribly wrong. We've had situations where we've tried to do the right thing and done something awful. There's been situations where we've truly been somewhat sinister in the things that the United States government has gotten involved in. So yeah, it's a mess. There's plenty to, to pull from. I'm just a little confused that anybody at an adult age would realize that it's people criticize U.S. foreign policy. Really? What? What's going on? How do you not know that? Uh, I, I was talking to my sister about this. I said, in the days after 9-11, People were discussing U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East. The days following, it's not like there was, I mean, it wasn't like a, a very loud voice. It wasn't like every channel was like, oh, but by the way, we have meddled with a lot of the governments in the Middle East. It wasn't like the biggest voice after 9-11, but they, people were not silent. People had that dialogue. People did discuss this. It's always been discussed. That's why I'm like, what, what's going on here? So this is Laura Ingram talking about it. And this is even stranger because she, so... The Patriot Awards, which were like this Fox News awards ceremony that they kind of hold themselves and give to various patriots in the United States, they shoot it from Nashville. And so the entire show is from Nashville. Uh, Laura Ingram is on a stage in Nashville, and she has Lee Greenwood, an 81-year-old country singer, best known for his hit song, Proud to be an American. Um, and she asks him about this TikTok trend. What do you do, do you think? What do we do to turn this around with well, young people amplifying bin Laden's propagandistic, hateful remarks? Well, I got an answer for you. It's family, God, and country. <laughs> I mean, if you believe in that, and of course, I have something special for you. What? I have a God Bless the USA Bible. Um, and in it is the Constitution, Declaration of Independence, the Pledge of Allegiance, and the Bill of Rights. And I've signed it for you, and I want you to have it as my you. gift. The thing oh, is, is what... So tip of the hat, uh, Greenwood, for that blatant shilling of your product there. I think that's kind of ingenious, actually. Not at all uh, subtle. Um, 
Good job there. Uh, I don't know how this is going to catch on with the kids, though. The God bless the USA Bible. Not sure if that's the answer, but that was very funny to me. I just guffawed. I was like, "Are you? could you write this script? I couldn't. So next up, because I'm going to run out of time, are the stories Fox News ignored. Every week, I compare the stories I watched on Fox News to five hours of the PBS NewsHour. The following is a list of stories that PBS covered that Fox did, News did not. Now we're going to start it off with climate disasters. Parts of India were shrouded in a toxic cloud of air pollution caused by crop burning, auto exhaust, and fireworks from the Diwali Hindu festival. The UN's weather agency warned that greenhouse gases hit a record high in 2022 with no end in sight. The new data showed increases in carbon dioxide, methane, and nitrous oxide. According to a report by the National Climate Assessment, the U.S. is warming 60% faster than the global average. European Union negotiators agreed to a deal that would lower methane emissions. It still needs approval by the European Parliament and Executive Council. A groundbreaking law in the EU that is meant to get countries to net zero might have been weakened, according to a confidential report. The AP details a watered-down proposal that would drop the entire financial sector from the initial law. Floods in eastern Africa have killed at least 130 people. Heavy rains since October have overwhelmed parts of Ethiopia, Kenya, and Somalia. Updates in the war in Ukraine. In Russia, state media issued, then withdrew, alerts that Russian troops were retreating in southern Ukraine. They blamed it on Ukrainian disinformation. Ukraine denied involvement. Officials in Kyiv now say Ukrainian forces have established a critical beachhead in a bid to retake Russian-held Crimea. The Ukrainian military claims it's making gains in the Gershon region. The Marine Corps claims they have destroyed dozens of Russian tanks, combat vehicles, and artillery systems. Regular stories. Here we go. Marianne Trump-Berry, the older sister of Donald J. Trump, died overnight at her home in New York at the age of 86. Hyundai announced a 25% hike in wages by 2028 at its non-union plants. The increase is an attempt to stay competitive with the UAW union contracts with the big three automakers. PBS produced a segment about the rise of anti-Semitism in Europe. Fox produced several segments about anti-Semitism in the U.S., but has largely ignored Europe. The Supreme Court issued a new ethics code of conduct for justices, Experts say the new guidelines don't mean much since there's no mechanism for enforcement. Inflation eased last month, a sign that the Federal Reserve's interest rates hikes are working. Year over year, prices rose 3.2 percent in October. Illegal border crossings from Mexico at the southern border have fallen 14 percent in October after three months of big increases. A leading Mexican LGBTQ figure, Jesus Ocel Benya, was found dead at his home along with his partner. His death touched off large-scale protests in support of the LGBT community. Benya had faced threats since becoming the first openly non-binary magistrate. His cause of death is unknown. The Senate Rules Committee adopted a resolution that would allow confirmation of groups of military promotions all at once. It's meant to prevent Senator Tommy Tuberville, a Republican from Alabama, from holding up military promotions over his personal views on the Pentagon's abortion policy. PBS produced a segment that focused on how Jewish Americans view the Israeli-Hamas war. 
Their views ranged from staunch supporters of Israeli government to radical peace activists who want an immediate ceasefire and the end of all occupied territory in the region. Fox News has also grappled with this issue, but has only presented Jewish Americans who support the Israeli government's actions. Haitian gang members surrounded Fontaine Hospital in Port-au-Prince and took women, children, and newborns hostage. The hostages were eventually rescued by police. Gang violence has soared in Haiti after the assassination of its president in 2021. British leaders insisted they will keep trying to send asylum seekers back to Rwanda, even after the Supreme Court ruled against the policy. PBS produced a segment about the loss of manufacturing jobs in Ohio as part of its series, America at a Crossroads. The House Ethics Committee found overwhelming evidence that Representative George Santos, a Republican from New York, broke the law when he used campaign funds for personal expenses and lied on financial reports. Santos could be expelled from the House. The United Nations top court ordered Syria to take all measures within its powers to stop the use of torture. Human Rights Watch welcomed the ruling. The court's rulings are legally binding, but are not always adhered to. Although the Parliament of Kenya approved sending 1,000 police officers to Haiti to help quell gang violence in the Caribbean nation, Kenya's high court blocked the plan. Globally, deaths from measles spiked more than 40% last year to 136,000, mostly children. The World Health Organization and the CDC said that the new cases were caused by a drop in vaccinations during the pandemic. The areas most affected were in Africa and the eastern Mediterranean. The Major League Baseball team, the Oakland Athletics, will move its franchise to Las Vegas in a new stadium on the Las Vegas Strip, which should be completed in 2028. It's the first time since 2005 that a major league team has moved to a new city. Members of the United Auto Workers have ratified a new contract with General Motors with 55% of the vote. Voting is still ongoing with Ford and Stellantis. Starbucks employees staged a one-day walkout that involved 5,000 workers at more than 200 locations worldwide. Workers at the coffee chain have been trying to unionize for two years. PBS produced a segment about a report by Report Global Witness that found how Russia is working around sanctions by having its oil refined in places like India, then sold on the global market. Honda is recalling more than 250,000 vehicles in the United States for potential crash risks. The models include Honda Pilot SUVs, Odyssey minivans, and Ridgeline pickup trucks, along with two Acura models. The official U.S. Capitol Christmas tree arrived in Washington, D.C. The tree is from West Virginia's Monagala National Park. Each year, a different national park provides the tree for the West Lawn of the U.S. Capitol. PBS produced a segment about how universities are managing mental health concerns on campus after student suicides. Yale settled a lawsuit following the death of a student in 2021 that will allow students to take part-time course load, if needed, and keep their health care while on medical leave. PBS produced another follow-up story about the battles over fresh water rights in Maui. Control of water rights were one reason cited that led to the wildfire that destroyed parts of the island. And those are all the stories, lots of them. By the numbers, every week I compare PBS uh, to Fox News, and this is the top five topics for the week ending uh, November 19th, 2023. Number one was 18% the Asia Summit in San Francisco with Biden. This is on Fox. 8% on Fox again, Biden bashing. 6% crime increasing. 
5% pro-Palestine protests and 5% the Patriot Awards. Notice the Israel-Hamas war did not even make the cut. Unbelievable. PBS, uh, top five, 20% Israel-Hamas war, 8% San Francisco Asian summit with Biden, 6% artist profile, 5% author profile, and 4% students with mental health problems in college and how they're dealing with them. So words used on Fox News for the week ending uh, November 19th. Here we go. Biden, 329. Trump, 189. Israel dropped all the way to 167. Hamas, 78. Crime, 68. Newsom, 43. Jewish, 43. Palestinian, 35. Border, 34. Inflation, 25. Marxist, that kept coming up about the Palestinian protests, 12. Anti-Semitism, 9. Hunter, 7. AOC, 7. Insurrection, 6. Protest, 6. Muslim, 6. Islamophobia, 2. So you've got anti-Semitism at 9. Islamophobia at 2. Jewish at 43. Muslim at 6. Just an interesting combination there. And again, Marxist showed up because it kept talking about it in reference to the protests. That's the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to become a sponsor, you can go to my Substack for Decoding Fox News or my Patreon for Decoding Fox News. My cats, the mascots, Odin and Thor, send their love. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Have a great time. I will be flying to St. Louis pretty much as soon as I get out done with this. Check the podcast, pack, go straight to LaGuardia. I haven't slept at all. It's been a rough day. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you at the next podcast.